very important parts of our lives. Our emotions and affections are really what distinguish our feelings. They distinguish us from animals. It's a huge way, a crucial part of our image bearing of God, that we, as image bearers, are, are emotional. We, we feel things and we have affections and feelings. Our issue is not that, our issue oftentimes is that we're controlled by our emotions rather than having our emotions submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And the Christian life is about God redeeming and ordering our lives, putting that back together. So the new life that we experience is him putting things back together, our minds back together so we think properly, our wills so they, they what we want is, is in line with, I want what you want, God. But part of the Christian life is also God redeeming and ordering our affections, our emotions, our feelings. And the Psalms are good for our emotions because we can locate our emotions in them as they help and instruct us as to how to submit our emotions to God, how to submit our feelings and what we're going through to God. Now, this psalm particularly was probably sung corporately as the people of God gathered. You know, there's a, a, a clue in Second Chronicles that says the sons of Korah were responsible for the songs that were sung loudly when the people of God gathered. But that word maskil comes from a Hebrew verb meaning to instruct. So it's a song that instructs, which helps us understand why we sing the, the songs we do in church, both this morning as, as well as other times uh, as we meet together every, every week. We look to worship. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. There's coming a day when true worshiper, worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. I think we find in that a, a, a component where we are experiencing the presence of God with his spirit, but also singing the truth about God to remind ourselves of the greatness that he is. So our songs and the intentionality that goes into choosing songs is about experiencing God's presence and being reminded of his character and the redemption we have in Christ so it instructs our souls, so it can tell us, why am I downcast? I have reason to rejoice. I have reason to look to God. And as even this morning, uh, the word hope appeared throughout our songs because that's what the Lord's going after today. So, and I, I've said this before, I've appreciated the intentionality that Mark brings to choosing songs. He really labors with the Lord. I let him know uh, early in the week where the sermon, where I feel the sermon's going, and we're looking to have those truths sung. So we're singing those truths, and what we know is God is bringing us to a point of being able to apply and respond to the very thing he wants to accomplish in our hearts as we meet together. Our corporate singing is to get us thinking of God as we lift our eyes and our hearts toward God, thereby getting our eyes off of ourselves, and so we can distinguish God's voice from what, what Tim Keller describes as panicky chatter. Isn't that helpful? We, the voices that we hear in our head are just panicky chatter. And we give in to that panic all too often. We give in to that fear rather than say, no, I, I need to remember the truths of God so I can submit myself to him. So this morning, God is directing our eyes and our hearts upward toward him, toward his hope, so we can truly fight our feelings with that proven hope. You know, in, in, uh, in verse 3, and then again, in verse, uh, let's see, 
there, there's some clues here that give us some understanding of the predicament and the situation that the psalmist is in. Because he talks about tears and taunts. But interestingly, in verse 3, he says, My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Who's the they? His tears. His tears are telling him, Where is your God? We feel that. We feel when our present condition with the author is desperate. The situation that's being brought out in the psalm is there's, a, there's some type of situation that's caused him to doubt God's presence and nearness. He doesn't feel like God's there. He feels God has abandoned him. Many times we may think that we, we think and feel that God has abandoned us, but we might not say it out loud because we know it's not right. But, it, but we feel it. So we get into this weird mind over feeling thing. If I can think well enough, then I can change how I feel. And all that is, is just some forms of Hinduism and Buddhism. That's not Christianity. See, Christianity doesn't say, look, if you think well enough, you'll feel great. Christianity says, cast all your burdens and your anxieties on me, because I'm God. See, Christianity takes all of those feelings, doesn't deny them doesn't try to supersede them with a mental uh, uh, accumulation of things or mental peace, but says, I'm bringing those right back to God. And we have the example of that in this psalm. This psalmist says, I know where I'm going. I'm going to God. I'm experiencing spiritual dryness. I'm experiencing depression. I'm going to God with that. Christianity admits the despair, and it takes it right back to God. spiritual dryness that we see described. A, a spiritual dryness that even the, the thought in verse 1 is a dear pants for flowing streams. Just Can I just have a flowing stream? Please, can I just have that? That would bring comfort and peace for the psalmist. He longs for the peace that's found in God's presence, but he, he describes himself as cast down and in turmoil. See that in verses 5 and 11, kind of the, the chorus of the psalm. And this is circumstantial stuff. This is inside of him. He's questioning these deep thoughts about his, his experience of God's presence. And he's at the point of, of drowning. And, and he describes, your, your breakers and your waves have gone over me. We get the picture that he's just trying to keep his head above water and all the breakers and the waves are convincing him, I'm not sure I can do this anymore. for the satisfaction that a temporary distraction or temporary inoculation can give. See, we, we, when we encounter difficulty, a lot of times we just, can I just be distracted from this difficulty just to make life a little easier for me? And we think by doing those things, we can numb ourselves to them, but it doesn't go away. The numbness, we might numb it for a little while, but then we're right back where we started. Questioning God, where, where are you? And this psalm, psalm that instructs us, takes the dryness head on, and it goes to God with it, and God alone, knowing that only God can satisfy his soul. There's an oppression that he's feeling. His tears are oppressing him, and the taunts are oppressing him. The turmoil the psalmist is experiencing is accompanied by his tears. He's got so many tears 
and God's not answering his cry to dry up the tears. He's got so many tears that even his tears are telling him, God's nowhere around you. Because if he was around you, you wouldn't be crying anymore. He's got no appetite. My tears are my food. I can't eat. But even my tears and the flow of my tears are telling me, where is God? Where is your God? You know, when our tears flow long enough, we wonder why God hasn't answered us. It stops us dead. And it begins to convince us we need to be doing our bidding. And then he describes oppressive taunt from legitimate enemies. You know, we, thankfully, in, in the way we live out Christianity, we don't have, for the most part, physical enemies. I know there are situations uh, where even, possibly even in this country, uh, where there might be a Muslim family where somebody comes to Christ and the, tram- the family turns on that person and says, you can't be a part of our family anymore. Those types of things do happen in our country, but for the most part, we're free from physical adversaries, people wanting to destroy us because of our faith. So we have to deal with emotional taunts. We have to deal with, I think that's a relational taunt, but it's an emotional, mental taunt. One of them comes from Satan himself, who is our chief adversary. And he goes around like uh, uh, imitating a lion that will come and devour something. He comes and he reminds us and we feel when our tears keep flowing, we feel him say, you are so unworthy and you have done so much wrong. That's why God's not around you. You are the cause of his abandonment. And he reminds us of our shame and taunts us. And we, we also feel the taunt uh, that there's a, a, a cultural that's coming about where to be a Christian and to choose to live under the authority of God as seen as weakness, not strength, where 50 years ago it was a strength of our society. Now it's actually a weakness of our society. Oh, you mean you still believe in God? You still need to hold on to those truths that God somehow is going to come rescue you? So in culture and in the people that we interact that are breathing that air in our culture, it could be our own family members. It could be another believer who says, are you still holding on to that? Why don't you just move on? Obviously, God's not around. We, we, we bump into Job's wife. Why don't you just curse God and die? Enough already. You're still holding on to your integrity? You're still holding on to a righteous God? We feel that type of taunt in the culture that we live in. We feel it. We feel it from family members when they just don't understand Christianity. We feel it from family members who are unbelievers. We don't know, well, why are you still holding to this? Why are you still submitting? Why are you still going by the God thing? Where is he? He hadn't shown up yet. You're still miserable. You still got everything going against you. There's taunts that are, begin to be oppressive. And they tempt us to abandon God, thinking that he's already abandoned us. But in these tears and taunts, there's a yearning that still yearning, the psalmist, will not abandon God, even though his tears and the taunts of others tell him that God's abandoned him. He knows that the relief he longs for and is praying for is not found away from God or apart from God, but in God. He yearns for the presence of God like he once did Cain. Uh, verse 2. When, or the last sentence of verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? He knows God you're the only one that can satisfy me. And there's a little footnote that you 
Bible may have that on that verse, the end of that verse, the footnote is there's a phrase with, to give understanding to this. When will I come and appear before God and see the face of God? Now, in the Hebrew language, the word for face and presence is the exact same word. And so when it was the, pres- the face of God, it was being said, when will I be in your presence and exist and dwell and abide in that presence that will calm my heart, that will quiet my soul finally from all the, the panicky chatter that's going on. You know, yearning for God is a constant in the Christian life, not a variable. We don't yearn for God just when things go bad. We're to yearn for God continually. But the suffering we encounter in life, because of living in a broken world, broken relationships, all while enduring broken bodies, it's a means of God's increasing our yearning for Him. We're not to be settled here on earth, and we get settled too often. Where if I just had this amount of money, or I just had this type of peace in a relationship, if my marriage just looked like this, my kids just looked this way, if, if I could just maintain this peace, I'd be okay. There's relief, and, and it's okay to pray for relief in particular situations. Absolutely. Pray for physical healing. Pray for emotional healing. Absolutely. We pray for those things. But all of those just, from one thing to another, it increases our yearning because it's a constant for us. Heaven is our home. And God is wise in these things. As a result, we pant and we thirst and we pour out our soul to God in this life. But then he, he gives, excuse the second point, hopeful remission. There, there is an atomic bomb of hope that the psalmist knows. And the sons of Korah are directing the people of God, listen, you have the greatest weapon possible, and it's hope. When hope feels like, I, I have no hope because it feels like God's abandoned me. No, it's in that moment that we recall and we remember, no, we have hope. And he talks about a past hope and a present hope and a future hope to fight the feelings of the abandonment that he's battling. Past hope, look at verse 4. These things I remember. And that, that remembering, recalling, and calling to mind, that he knows where to go, but it's a bold thing. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembered his times of when he went to church, and it was awesome, where God met them in a unique way during worship and receiving the presence of God and the fellowship that they have with one another. It, it was a great experience, and he's going back to those experiences to remind him God showed up then, he'll show up in the future. But he used his past experience. You see, a lot of times we might condemn ourselves for our past experiences with God because we don't have them on a more occurring, uh, a more regular basis. But we're not, we, there's mountaintops. <laughs> but most of the Christian life is the valley. We have those mountaintops, and so when we have them, we get to rejoice. This is great. This was wonderful. But he's thinking of the corporate gathering. That's why you know, several weeks ago when Mark preached about encouraging one another and not, not forsaking the meeting together, 
because God shows up in these moments and it gives us reason to keep on going. Like as we experience His presence and the uniqueness of that, says, oh, one, I'm not alone because I have the fellowship of the people of God around me, but God's not alone. Because He shows up in these ways in worship and teaching the Word and the fellowship that we have with one another. The psalmist also remembered the heights of God's revelation when he refers to the, uh, the second or verse 6. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and affirm them from Mount Mizar. He's describing, there were some heights of revelation. He's, he's referring to mountaintops and mountain peaks in this, uh, these locations. God had revealed himself in stunning and convincing and faithful ways. That's what the psalm is recalling. Let's remember how he has revealed himself. And let's stand on his promise. Let's stand on, on his character and how he has revealed himself. He remembered his mountaintop experiences with God and gave him hope for his future. But there's also a present hope that he recognized. The, the psalmist acknowledged God's sovereign purpose in his suffering that he was experiencing. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your all your bridges and your waves have gone over me. It's to take steps in the Christian life to recognize the sovereign purpose and will of God to accomplish our good and His glory in our suffering. I'm not turning his back. I'm not acting like suffering is uh, unusual for God. He recognizes that God's using that suffering knows all the breakers and the waves and the feelings, God's coming after him. And rather than run away from God, he's saying, I know God, I'm coming right back to you. And this is what takes guts. God, I'm coming back to you. You want to do something in my life? I want you to do it. And so I'm here. I'm not going anywhere, God. I'm here. I want to get this lesson, and I want it to satisfy my soul as I thirst and I long for you and you alone. Even beaten down and beaten back by his circumstances, he knew God's sovereign will was still in effect. And he could say with faith that deep calls to deep at the roar of God's waterfalls. And even, even though danger was wrapped up in his experiences, he wanted God more. And he wanted more of God. Through the waterfalls, God was commanding his steadfast love. Look, verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. That, that, that's right in the breakers and the waves. There's not a break in thought right there. We kind of have this weird linear thinker. We have this break in thought because it's a different verse. No, this is a feeling that the deep calls the deep of the roar of your waterfalls, your breakers, your waves have gone over me. By day he commands his steadfast love. Using the circumstance, God commanding and reminding. He has, he has covenant loyalties and he has covenant faithfulnesses uh, with his people. And he will not turn his back on his covenant. The present hope of his assurance is that God's sovereignty is unified with his covenant of faithfulness. And he reveals that oh, even though he feels abandoned, Jesus, uh, God, in that moment, is with him in the train. And this means Jesus, that he is walking above him. Remember, Jesus didn't walk on a placid water. He didn't calm the seas until he 
got into the boat with him and said, Peace be still. Look, he's walking over the wa- he's walking over those waves. But Jesus, in the sovereign purpose of God, is with us and on top and able to keep us up. Not up to our own fortitude or self-determination. And there's a future hope we look to. I've been calling to mind God's faithfulness to look to the time when he will feel the presence of God again. Verse 5 and verse 11 say this. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He looks to the time that he will feel the presence of God again. And he has a fierce faith in this future hope. Now realize there's no, there's no resolution in the psalm. That, oh, I, I got it, I got it, I have hope now, I got it. There was no resolution for him. He said, no, it's still me. again praise him like I did. Not right now. I can't. I'm not going to muster it up myself. But I'm going to praise him like I did. It's coming. He's full of hope despite his fears. He now has a security and a confidence because he trusts God will be there for him in his future. I I use the word fierce faith because uh, on purpose for how he prays in verse 9. This is a gutsy faith. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? See, that's the question that many of us know all too well. In different seasons of our lives, maybe we're asking, maybe you're asking that right now. But are you asking it in the way that Jesus did? I say to God, my rock. He's still feeling abandoned, but he knows it's not reality. So he goes to God boldly. I'm not going to let my feelings supersede God's sovereign purposes. I'm going to God boldly. And he's gone from being driven around as a victim of his circumstances to now being stable as a servant. God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Lord, I'm yours. I'm not going anywhere, God. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Accomplish your work for me. Accomplish this grace in my heart. His his trust is brought forth as a powerful recognition of his identity. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Church, do we feel, do we feel robbed of our identity in the midst of our suffering, or we are reminded, I'm still God's child. He's still my God. And he will not turn aside. I'm his servant. Even in the midst of discipline. Even in the midst of, of, of testing and refining faith, the promise is that he is with us in every category of our lives. You know, the Psalms help us identify what the people of God went through so we understand as the people of God today how we're going through things. But all of the Psalms give us understanding of Jesus because we hear the cries of the Messiah in the Psalms. The third point would be this. We hear Jesus say this. Why have you forgotten me? When he's on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows everything that we go through. He knows everything. And the writer of Hebrews says, He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He's not off saying, Man, I 
I bet that's really tough to go through. I'm sorry. You know, he's with us and he says, I know what you're going through. I know the rejection. I know the misery. I know the grief. I know how everything feels. I know how spiritual suffering is going on. In that, remember, he's still walking on that water. He's walking on those waves. as our response as we are fighting our feelings and we're looking for hope, the place that we look is in the face of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 reminds us, For God, who said that light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in the presence of Jesus Christ. So we look at Jesus. The psalmist, they didn't have this. They would say, that's the missing link. That's what we needed. That's what we were longing for God to reveal. Church, God has revealed it and revealed it with power and wisdom and authority for us to go to Jesus over and over and over again to have hope stirred and rising up in us even if it doesn't feel like it. And trust your hope with your God is the one that changes. And that's what you He is called me by name. I'm yours. orders our feelings so that we'll be submitted to those who God commands. Let's get this backed up, but we're going to celebrate communion together and transition to this time. We're remembering this is a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. This is the hope we have in him. Remember his shed blood for us and his body broken for us. So if you would, I encourage the, the middle aisle to come, get the elements as they determine your seats, get the elements and we'll Jesus, we hunger and thirst for you, Lord, as we remember your sacrifice, we see the wounds from your hands and blood of Jesus, this gracious cup, the life spring overflowing, poured out for us. He has conquered every sin. For the ones who trust in Him, Jesus, we hunger and thirst for You, Lord, as we remember Your sacrifice. We see the wounds from Your hands. 
showed it to his disciples and he said this is my body which is broken for you a reminder his body is broken so ours wouldn't have to be as the payment and the substitute for our sins because God in his glory and his power was working a plan to have his presence in us and connected us to him forever for all eternity so we have hope we have hope because of all that Christ did to be broken in our place. Let's take the bread. Scripture goes on to say that after dinner he took the cup and he signified, he said, this is the cup of my blood which secures for you a new and everlasting covenant. He sealed everything that Adam and Eve should have been to be in God's presence forever and all eternity. Jesus sealed it all having been our sacrifice. Now he's our priest. He's the one saying he's the sacrifice that now brings about the new covenant that God will never turn away from doing good to us. And as we're going to rem be reminded with our commission together, Jesus says, Behold, I'm with you always because of his shed blood. And this, when we eat and we drink, we're reminded that that's God's gift to us to be inside of us. No longer do we have to work to be in God's presence. He's done all the work to put his presence in us. Let's drink the cup of praise. Lord, we are so very, very grateful these tender reminders of your goodness and your your sovereign purpose to have us understand the inworkings of who you are. So Lord, we hear you. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. God, we want more of you and we stand we stand uh, whatever the suffering we're experiencing, God, we stand on you our rock say, God, bring about your desired good for my life because I know, I know I'll experience your presence in fullness and in glory. That's what we desire. We trust you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we, we have this hope in Christ. So as this is the word we've received, so as we go and we recite our commission, this is what we're looking to sow. To sow in others' lives Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always.